So we'll start with, uh, continue with this series um, on the book of Ruth. So last Sunday, Chris spoke to us about Boaz as the redeemer, redeeming the property of Emelech and also Ruth to be his wife. And they related it to the father Jesus being our great redeemer. In this series, we find that after that redemption, the elders and the women, they will pray for Boaz and also for Ruth and for Naomi and for the child to be born. And so this series, we're going to be looking at the prayer of the elders and the women for Boaz, for Ruth, and their son, Obed. I just want to indicate that, first of all, prayer is a God's idea. It's not man's idea. God is the one that initiated prayer. It's a way for us to assess his goodness, his mercy, and his provision, which we have already been talking about God's goodness. Prayer is the means by which we can actually assess that. However, there's also a great potential in prayer. For instance, James 5.16 will say the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So prayer can produce wonderful results beyond what we expect or even imagine. Wonderful at times that the marvel at the things God do because we pray. And so in this story of praying, we're going to see the interplay of prayer at these two levels. Praying for the goodness of God and seeing the prayer of the elders, the wonderful results of that prayer. So let's pray and then we'll read the passage and we'll take it further from there. So let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you for this opportunity to, to be before you, to be reminded of your love the great redeemer and love for prayer. Open door. How many times we have prayed, Lord? How we have cried to you many times how you have shown up. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you that you're always there at the end of prayer. Lord, as we look into this word, bless us, teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll read the passage, and the passage is, it will be on the screen. Uh, look at uh, Ruth chapter 4, verses 11 to 22. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Lee, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perex, whom Tamar brought to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from, from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and became his wife, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. 
And as the neighbor, as the, also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they call his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Aram begot Abamidad, and Abamidad begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. So as I sort of started with, God, prayer is God's idea. His actual initiative. He initiated prayer. For us, for humanity, to assess his goodness, his provision, and mercy. Uh, for instance, in Jeremiah 33, uh, 3, he will say, call on me, and I will answer. He will say, call on me, I will answer. And I will show you mighty things which you do not know. God opening the door, God inviting us that we should call on him. This is fundamental because it means that while we are praying, we are not forcing God to do what he doesn't want to do. It is actually his initiative. Now, back to the story. So the Israelites, they, were, they grew up in a culture of prayer. So the elders and the women who have been very familiar with fathers and elders praying for young ones. They would have known the story of, uh, of Isaac praying for, for Jacob, so that birthright and how important that was. They would have been very familiar with the fact that Jacob, when he was dying, would lean on his, on his stake and pray for his 12 sons, so they would be very familiar with that. They would also be very familiar with the, with the fact that Moses, before he died, will pray for all the 12 tribes of Israel by name. So this is the culture in which they grew up, a culture of the elder blessing and praying for the younger one. In this prayer, they will pray into the future, into the destiny of the people consigned. We, all, we are aware what the prayer meant to Jacob and how Esau wanted that prayer because that prayer affects and shapes the future of the person to which they were praying into. At the same time, they also pray for the basic needs of life. So it was praying for the future, praying for destiny, but at the same time, they also pray for the basic needs. So for instance, if when Isaac was praying for Jacob, he would say, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, my God, give, give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine. So you can see that the first tissue that Isaac was actually praying about was just good. God to bless his son Jacob. And so the elders, after now, after Obed, after, after Boaz have married Ruth, will now begin to pray. With that background, it was just very easy for them to pray. So they will pray initially for, 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 for Boaz, and then they will pray for Naomi. So the elders will pray, the Lord make this woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Lee, the two who built the house of Israel. Between these two women, they had 30 children, and they were, the, they were really the mother of the whole of Israel. So it was a big prayer of blessing, praying that Ruth will be very fruitful. They will pray for Boaz that may you prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. 
We know that Boaz was already very prosperous, but they will pray for good. We want him to see the goodness of God, for God to prosper Boaz. The woman will take it off from there. They will say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. May his name be famous. So they will acknowledge the goodness of God. The, the, that God was the one who orchestrated the whole thing that's happened. And then they will pray. May, may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. So basically they will pray that God will prosper this child that was born, that he will be able to be uh, to provide for, Na- for Naomi in her old age. Two things are obvious in their prayers. The first one that they believe in the goodness of God and the willingness of God to bless. And they will freely stand and pray the goodness of God upon, upon, upon Boaz and upon Ruth and upon the child. Actually, if you look at the Old Testament, there's this song that says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. That is a common song in the sound. Many times, because they believe in the goodness of God. The second thing you will find in their prayer that they were very conscious of their relationship with God as covenant people. They will make reference, the elder will make reference to Rachel and to Lee. By so doing, they were basically laying hold on the fact that they are from Jacob. They were relying on the covenant that God has called them to be special people on the earth. And they knew it, and they relied upon that covenant. They will make reference to Perez, who was the, the, the son of Judah. Basically, they were laying hold on their root. They were lo- knowing that they are the covenant people of God. And they were relying on that covenant, and they were blessing. In the fact, they felt they are called of God that they are supposed to be blessed. Because God will lead you to a land that is full of milk and honey. And they were standing on that covenant relationship. And they were blessing uh, uh, Ruth, blessing Boaz. In the same way, Jesus will encourage us to believe in the goodness of God, which is basically what God has been speaking to us. Jesus encourages us to believe in the goodness of God. He will say, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They never have storehouses nor bounds, but God feed them. How much more value are you than the birds? God wants us to believe we are good value and believe that God will provide for us because he's a good God. Jesus will also say that which of you, as evil as you are, as fathers, whose child will ask for, for fish or something and you give him a stone, he said, how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts to those that ask. God wants us to believe that he's a good God and lay hold on that. At the same time, Jesus will encourage us to pray in his name, to rely on our relationship, on the covenant that we have in, in, with God in Christ. He will say, pray in my name. Whatever request you make in my name, I will honor that prayer. So that is the first thing, that prayer is a, good, is a God's idea to meet our needs, to access his goodness, his mercy towards us. The second point I would like to pick up from the prayer is the lifestyle as a prayer. Prayer is actually communication with God. And there is a sense in which our lifestyle, not good works, I really want to shred that, our lifestyle 
is part of our prayer. Our lifestyle is part of our prayer. Jesus will make this statement. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So our lifestyle is not devolved from our prayer life. Our life itself is our prayer. So Naomi was the one that made that original decision to return. And that started the whole process. But I want us to focus on Ruth. Ruth was primarily motivated to care for Naomi with no prospect for her future. She wasn't looking for a bright future. The woman said to Naomi, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons have given birth to this child. Everybody knew that Ruth loves Naomi. That was an undeniable fact. In short, she followed Naomi ready to lose her own life. But in so doing, when she decided to follow Naomi, Ruth stepped into an inheritance, according to the word of the Lord. And I will read that from, it's on the slide from, from Ezekiel 47, 21. And thus shall ye divide this land among yourselves, according to the tribes of Israel. It shall be that you, shall, you will divide it by lot as an inheritance for yourselves and for the stranger who dwell among you and who bear children among you. They shall be to you as a native born among the children of Israel. They shall have an inheritance with, with you among the tribes of Israel. So when she decided to follow Naomi, she stepped into an inheritance. But she never knew that that inheritance would mean that she would be part of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That was the inheritance she stepped into. By that decision, by that lifestyle of love, of sacrificing her own life, she stepped into an inheritance that made her to be part of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What about Boaz, a wealthy man of good reputation? He was ready to lose his life to raise seed for the dead. In fact, I may want to add that in those days, Boaz would have been the most eligible bachelor in that society. He was wealthy. He seemed to have everything going for him. But he decided to raise seed for the dead. This is what he says when he took on Ruth. Say, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Mahon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren. No mention of his life, no mention of anything about himself, a lifestyle that was loyal to God. In fact, we will appreciate this a bit more when we realize that the first person who was supposed to redeem Ruth refused because he didn't want to mess up with his inheritance. And there's this passage in 2 Chronicles 16 that it says that for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. As we make sacrifices, as our lifestyle are loyal to God, God says, I, I, my eyes run to and fro to prove myself strong on your behalf. And we can see that work in the life of Ruth 
on Boaz. They died not knowing what would become of the same. But today we read the history. We know God did step in. So therefore Naomi returned to Bethlehem and Ruth and Boaz becoming part of the picture meant that David had his roots in Bethlehem. This is the reason why Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem to register for the census in the time of Augustus in Luke chapter 2. So Ruth and Boaz are the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. A lifestyle sacrifice, a lifestyle that wants to please God. And God will prove himself loyal on our behalf. It is a lifestyle prayer that accomplishes more than we can ever ask for. But I really want to add that, none, that in no case it's not necessary in this life. Because I felt that maybe Boaz and Ruth would have died to them to just an ordinary life and nothing special happened. And I tell you, following Jesus can feel like that. You feel God has made all the sacrifices, I've made some very tough decisions, I'll be loyal to you. And it just seems I'm not really progressing the way I thought to. Actually, the disciples felt the same. In Matthew, uh, the slide of Matthew, the, the Peter answered and said to him, Lord, we have left all and followed you. What are we going to have? It was like they felt everything, they left everything. Then Jesus made this promise. So Jesus said to them, As surely I say to you that in the generation when the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, we are all included in everyone, everyone, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, children, make tough decisions for my name's sake. You will receive a hundredfold and eternal life. And Paul would add that our light afflictions is working for us an eternal weight of glory. So I really want to encourage you let your lifestyle be that which is loyal to God. It is working for you a greater weight of glory than you can imagine. Some of you may have made tough choices in following God. Be encouraged, God is working on your behalf. And I actually felt this, speaking of this, particularly speaking of marriage, you know, some sisters are loyal to God and the years are ticking by and by, and you say, God, what am I going to get married? You see, my whole life is just rolling away. But I really felt God want to say this morning to you, be encouraged. It is working for you a greater weight of glory than you can imagine. The last, not the last one, the third point I want to make is prayer is co-laboring with God. And you can see that in the Lord's Prayer, which we're all very familiar with, which basically, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, you can see all these elements we talk about. We ask us to ask for our daily bread, ask us to ask for protection, for forgiveness, uh, assessing the message of God. But at the very top of it, it will ask that, you know, give us that opportunity to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. God inviting us through prayer to pray his kingdom on the earth. God invited them to be co-laborers with him to bring his purposes to pass on the earth. And so the elders will have been very familiar when they were praying for, for Boaz and for, for Ruth and Naomi, they would have been very familiar of how important that was. They would be very aware, as I said before, of the prayer of, of Isaac for Jacob and how that influences his whole lifestyle. 
they realize how important to pray, to prophesy, to speak into the destiny of people's world in bringing to pass the purposes of God. So in prayer, God gives us the opportunity to be co-laborers with him in shaping the future. When our prayers are lined up with God's eternal purposes, the results are usually more than we can expect. So firstly, let's just have a look at the prayer the elders prayed and sort of related to this co-laborer with God. Firstly, they will link their prayer and they will make reference to Rachel and to Lane. And as I said, these two have 30 children. They were not just praying that Ruth, we have 30 children. But basically they were saying, may the seed that will come out of you be among those that build the nation of Israel. They were saying, Rachel and Lay, they gave birth to children and they build the whole nation of Israel. May your seed be of those that will build the whole nation of Israel. And then the elders will say, may your house be like the house of Perex whom Tamar brought to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord gave, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. The story of Perex is quite an interesting story. Tamar was pregnant for, with twins for Judah, but at birth there was a drama. So we'll read that a bit just for us to have an understanding of what they were actually prayed. So Genesis 38 28 to 29. So this is Tamar. And when Tamar was in labor, one baby put out his hand, and the midwife took his hand and bound, and bound upon it a scarlet thread, saying, this baby was born first. But he drew back his hand, and behold, his brother was born first. And she said, what a breaking forth you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perex, breaking forth. So this is a society, you must be in mind that this is a society where the first birthright is very important. You all know about the story of Jacob and, and Esau struggling for the birthright. So for, for Perex to break forth, to become the firstborn, was, they realized the importance associated with being the firstborn. And so in, the, in, in effect, they were in the back of them, they have this in, in their mind, and they were actually praying and drawing on the, the, the inheritance, the, the right of being the firstborn that was on parents. They were praying that for the, for the son yet to be born. Remember, at us of this time, they were praying there was no Obed yet. They were prophesying, they were praying this for Obed yet to be born. However, there's more to it than that. The elders will have known that the Messiah will come from Judah. They, they would have known that because Jacob, when he was praying for his 12 sons, when he came to Judah, he said, the scepter or leader, she shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler star from between his feet, until Shiloh, the Messiah, the peaceful one comes, comes to whom he belongs, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So the elders knew, would have known that the Messiah is coming from Judah. Judah had five sons. Two of them died early. And so they were left with Sheila, Perex, and Zerah. And we have seen that Perex has broken forth to claim the first birthright. And if you look at the Bible, the impact of that breaking forth was already very apparent. 
It was the commentators will say that Perez was more numerous in terms of offspring than all the other sons of Judah. He had two sons, and these two sons became two big families, bigger than any other of the other children of, of Judah. So God, the, the, so the, effect, the, the impact of being the firstborn was already very obvious in the case of Perez. And so basically, so it was already obvious there was something special about Perex because of the birthright, and the elders were basically tapping into that. And the genealogy tells us the rest of the story, that their prayer was, God answered their prayer, that by their prayer, they were able to, if you like, ensure that uh, pray to the Father Messiah coming through the line of Perex. And that was exactly what happened, that Obed became the father of Jesse. And Jesus became the father of David. And it was when David was king that God said, I'll build you a house, and your, your, your offspring forever will sit upon the throne. That was became obvious that the Messiah was coming from David. So what is the point? It's the point of when our prayers transcends just the provision of bread and prosperity, when our prayers tap into the very heart of God, when we are consigned with the very purposes of God, God will do more than we ever ask for. That is where God wants to. God wants us to be co-liberal with him in prayer and bring it to pass his kingdom. So how do we pray such prayer? Such prayer will be prayed based using the promises of God, what God has said in his word. We, can, we know the mind of God from what he has said. And we know that basically God's Main motivation is salvation of souls, transformation of society, and spending time at times to just to wait on God when you pray. You may have your, your shopping list where you pray, but it's good at times just to lay it aside and just to spend some time to this. God, what is in your heart? And when we align our prayer with what is in the heart of God, they achieve more than we can ask for or imagine. And a very good example we are very familiar with is Simeon. Simeon in, in, in the New Testament. The Bible said that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was so much tied, carried away with the purposes of God. And God said, because of this, you will not die until you have seen the, the Savior. So when our prayers, when our heart aligned up with all that God has in his heart to do, God will do more than we ever ask for. The last point to make is the role of corporate prayers. You will realize that Boaz Ruth, Naomi, they never prayed, but the elders prayed, the women prayed. They all prayed together, corporate prayer, and the result was tremendous. I know that we can all pray, God will answer our individual prayer, but there is something special when we all pull together. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, are right there in their midst. So I really want to invite you to the prayer on Wednesday. And we will all come together to pray to the heart of God, to pray what, to into the things that are in the heart of God. And when we do that, God will do more than we can ask for or imagine. A very good example is when Peter was in prison, and the Bible said that a constant prayer was offered for him by the church. Peter wasn't praying. That's why he was sleeping. And AJ has to wake him up to get up. The church was praying on his behalf. So as we pull together, when we come and pray before God, we find that God will do more than we can ask for. To round things up, I think God has been speaking to us that he's a good God. I think that became obvious during the worship. 
And God wants us to believe that. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy is endure forever. And he wants us to believe him. Pray and ask for his goodness. Pray and lay hold on his mercy. Pray and lay hold upon his provision for our lives. Even especially at this time where the, the cost of living is becoming higher. God says, I am your good shepherd. The last one is God wants us to be people that build his kingdom by believing him, by praying not just for our shopping list, by asking God what is in your heart. So shall we pray. So I think I just really want to encourage you, maybe just like the disciples said to Jesus, we have left everything for you and we have, what are, what are we going to get? Maybe at times you feel God have I've made some tough decisions. I've left a few things, and, and I can't really see where I'm going now. But Jesus promised everyone. I want you to be encouraged. Jesus said, everyone who has left houses, make those two tough decisions, lifestyles that are pleasing to God. God says there is an inheritance for you. It may not be in this world, Ruth and Boaz may not have seen everything that God did through their seed, Obed. I want you to be encouraged. And if you, you are facing some tough decisions of lifestyle, don't give up. Don't take the easy way out. God will make a way for you. And if you seem hopeless, we want to pray that as God turned root to root, things will be hopeless. But God turned things around. We pray that God will turn things around. Where there seems to be no hope, God will make a way for you. So, Father, we want to say thank you. Thank you for you are a good God. Thank you that prayer is your own initiative. It is your way, your provision for us to come to you as our Father to assess your goodness, to assess your mercy, to assess your, your provisions. I want to thank you for prayer. I want to thank you for your fatherly heart. I want to thank you that you turn hopeless situation around just as you, you did for Ruth. Ruth could never have imagined she was going to get married. Never have imagined she would have an inheritance. But Lord, you did it. We pray this, this afternoon that Lord, you, you will do more for people. Lord, uh, who are looking to you, who it seems that the situation, there seems to be no way. Father, we pray that you make a way for, for them in, in, in your own power and by your own might. And Father, we say, Lord, here we are, Lord. We want to offer ourselves to, to be people who will co-labor with you in prayer that your kingdom will come and that your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.